Okay, check one, check two. Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. It's your host, Rob Cantrell, and I am an exciting episode, the dopest episode. I couldn't be more excited to have my friend on all the way from California, from the last podcast on the left, from uh, your face in hell, from Adult Swim, Henry Zabrowski, everybody. Buddy, Rob, I mean, you are still, you still have some of my favorite stand-up moments that I have seen over the years, because we are old school friends. Old it's school weird friend. when, when you start to like think about that time period, it's like we've known each other. We've been doing comedy next to each other for since 2007. In, in, my, in my world, like, because of Murder Fist, like you were one of the first comedians I knew that was yeah. like a stand-up. I was thinking about this, Henry, and I remember the time, I remember the first day we met and uh, I remember meeting you guys and just vibing with you guys. And I'd come from California and you guys came up from uh, Florida, but it was that Brooklyn Brewery show. Do you remember this show? Yes, yes I do. Because I remember it, that was wild. Yeah. That was a wild show. That was like one of those, cause it was like our sketch group. Cause at the time, I think it was kind of fueled by, we were a big like pack of ugly dudes right that where we did comedy together like and the only you know we had one we had like one of the ladies in a group who just kind of was like we didn't view her as a woman unfortunately <laughs> and my sister was in the group we didn't view her as a woman you know so it wasn't like that but we met another group that was all women like another sketch comedy group when we first got together and we started put doing shows together and it was mostly as a way to start bridging the gaps to can we have sex with each other can can we yeah. date and that was like a pop off show for everybody's mix-em-ups <laughs> i remember it it's very specifically because we just got fucking hammered because we got all the free because they basically paid us in beer yeah i remember it wasn't that well attended but we had <laughs> we had a great time i remember it was kind of vacant and i was in between you guys but i've done this before i, I as anybody know that henry zabrowski is one of the top biggest podcasts out there last podcast on the left but he originated from his comedy roots is in sketch comedy. Yes. He's one of the most punk rock, awesome sketch groups that I've witnessed in my life. Uh, and uh, we started out, we literally came to New York together and we met. And I remember you and Ed and I went to the bathroom and we were smoking pot in the bathroom of the Brooklyn Brewery. I miss I, it, I, man. I, you know, I don't have a great memory, but. Certainly. <laughs> I wonder why. I, I Yeah, exactly, dude. No, it was, you know, this is just back in the day when you didn't have to go to comedy school to do comedy. Like, you didn't have to get a degree from some fucking school to do sketch comedy. So we actually just did sketch comedy. We were just boys who did shit together. And it was nice to meet all of these people. And we kind of fit immediately into the world of stand-up. Like, we didn't understand the comedy school world of like improv and sketch because we're like no all of our heroes essentially did everything they could to fuck up their lives before doing comedy and they everything was all about like hitting the world with a hammer to like yeah. the old school comedy so that's kind of was our thing we fell into the world of stand-up very easily but we started doing podcasts all this that whole group started doing podcasts not not murderfist but i'm gonna just go ahead all the stand-ups around us during the time period very early. I feel like you were, because did you ever do Brain and the Beast? 
Brain and the Beast. No, was that your first podcast? That was an old podcast with Holden McNeely and Ben Kissel and Cena Gaznavi. We used to, because our buddy Cena Gaznavi was like the guy that was like, podcasts are going to be a thing. Like, we're going to start doing in, in, internet know, radio. Yeah, he's awesome, yeah. Yes, but he started he's doing it like 2009. Guy. Yeah. What? He was kind of your tech guy, right? No, Sheena was just my buddy who did a lot of drugs and is now, <laughs> you know, one of my best friends in the world. And he's a, he is a, uh, he's just one of those guys who's kind of always had his finger on the pulse. Yeah. Of like tech, of those things. Of but things. it was way before the wave came. It was yeah. like 2009. Yeah, I had a, one early on called Brooklyn Radio, even back when we were doing that sketch. And it was with a bunch of DJs. It was before it was podcasts, but it was internet radio. And it was called R&R, and I had a guy spinning old school hip hop, and I would be smoking bongs and uh, hanging out with Rondell Hartley, who's this like, you know, uh, comic uh, from Brooklyn, born and raised, was kind of in more of the Def Jam scene, but awesome, cool, chill dude. He opens for Tony Woods. He's still my friend, we're still the same, but we had a blast with it, but it took so much, as you know, like it is like a constant, this is my 73rd episode. And I kind of did it all on my own, taping on my phone, ta doing everything myself right now. Oh yeah, buddy. I mean, we, st we're still in that place. Like the last podcast network is still just like, it's me, Ben Kissel, Marcus Parks are like whatever the, the heads of it, but it's our employees. We only, we have like six, seven employees that all are, we're just putting this all together all the time. All the time, and it's always changing. It's very, and that's what I thought about Murderfist and your, you guys were as punk rock as it gets. And I know, and you're inspiring as hell in terms of, because I remember where you guys came from. And uh, I think you probably want to talk about the UCB kind of falling to the, to the knee, like falling to the side here in New York. Like you guys were kind of shunned from like the improv community as yes. I'm, I never got into the cell. Like I got into the cellar, but I never was, I still gotta, was trying to figure out my way and figure out my, my voice. But I always look to you guys and I'm like, no, I remember when they weren't in, now they fucking own Spotify right now. <laughs> like we like they, it gives me such, like you guys just, owned it man you owned who you guys were all the way all of the no's what do we learn about no's i feel like in my life is that they are all some of the more important lessons i've ever had like all of the things every single thing i was shut out of because we were kind that's why we got along with stand-ups i think as a sketch yeah. group because we were like we love the community but also we were like you know we handle our shit we we have a, a vision of what we want to do so, and, and we were, we came out of the box with it. We like, we knew exactly what kind of sketch we wanted to do. We knew how we wanted to do it. Even though like at first we sucked, like at first people like, you know, you'd have a couple of moments where you're making the audio, you like, you're actually connecting with an audience, but then, you know, and then you eat shit, but we weren't like afraid of the eating shit part. Right, we, we knew that, you know, we were kind of the opposite. We actually liked to bomb because then you were like, then you started to know, like, now we're punishing an audience and we will just punish you because we were angry young people and had wanted to do that. Way. Yeah, I was uh, the same way. I loved, a lot of people wigged out about bombing and I always found it, not now because there's 
you know, money involved and shit. Now bombing is not, I don't want to bomb anymore. Yeah, I don't no, want no, 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 I'm sad, I don't street. want to. Yeah, we're on the street, <laughs> it, it, it sucks. But in my youth, I really did have, I truly don't, I would walk up on stage like, I really don't care what these motherfuckers think. Like, but ever, that was the, you ever. made beautiful moments though. Yeah, they yeah. You made beautiful moments because you are truly free. But then when we, we first went to the UCB and I remember the first things of them being like, essentially, like you got to pay to play, which and we didn't have any money. <laughs> Neither, yeah. I mean, like we didn't have this fucking extra money. I don't know where all those people got that extra money from. I guess they. I mean, good lucky. I think they're very lucky, and they should be very fortunate. But feel fortunate. I because but we didn't have this money, and then they also were like, and here's all the reasons why what you're doing is wrong, and why we are the only people who know what's correct. And so they would they tried to like, and for a second we're like, can we be molded? Like, can we go and like, and listen, and then it just got to a point where like, fuck this. I don't need some guy with this, some balding man with glasses to just tell me what I'm doing, what I'm doing wrong, where it's just being like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm like getting laid and partying and doing a show. Like we're already doing a show. Yeah. I actually don't need your stage. I don't have to have your stage. We have the rest of New York stages because we had hacked it as a sketch comedy group because, you know, when you're 11 people deep, we were getting booked just because we'd be an audience. Uh, I would say this about Murder Fist, and I think you'll agree. And I, 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 you know, on this podcast, I talk coffee, I talk weed, I talk comedy, I talk a lot about music. But you guys were funky. You guys, I miss our funky ass days. You guys, were, as dark as you guys think you were. What I saw at that record store that we used to play, you guys would play Maggot Brain, you would play all this Funkadelic between the sketches, and they would go out into the audience and dance with the audience, dance with each other. Like well, we, we realized early on that sketch comedy death happens in the transitions. Where yeah. like sketch comedy, the, de the reason why people hate sketch comedy is because it's boring and it's like bad theater half the time. Like you're sitting in a chair, watching a thing, you know, the, the certain models, I'm not going to harp too hard, but certain comedy sketch models make it so it's specifically so you expect the ending joke, that each sketch has a solid premise and it's ABC and it goes up the ladder, like it builds and then, and that's what a sketch is and that's the only way it is and people were used to that. So what we realized that we wanted to make it a full 3D experience. We wanted to really fuck people up. We wanted to have the transitions be really intense. But Ed Larson really was the dude that understood music in, in the way that he did because he was a huge music head. And he was like my older brother for music. So he would give me music. And because we went to college with the organ player of uh, P-Funk. Yeah. And we knew P-Funk. P-Funk used to play at, uh, uh, George Jr. used to play at Ed Larson's house parties oh. in Tallahassee. He actually got busted. That was the, George Clinton. That was the whole story where George Clinton, like, Eddie used to throw these massive keg parties, these funk parties, right? Yeah. Where various people used to come in because Tallahassee was a locus for uh, people. Let me just tell a little people about Ed. Ed Larson, it was in Murder Fist, but he also writes for Jeff Ross. And I wrote a script with him, but he's like... Yes, that script is also hilarious. And yeah. honestly, still viable. Like, yeah. I honestly think that there is still something to that because especially now, well, I don't know if we could even talk about it, but the idea of like, 
basically it's like two dudes inherit a weed farm. Like it is the, yeah. that's the essential logline. But I love now all of the murder mountain shit where you can also play with the holdouts, right? Cause now Humboldt is a whole world of like people that refuse to go legit because they like the outlaw lifestyle. Yes. Did you watch Murder Mountain? I talked about it on this podcast, dude. Yeah, dude. I went yeah. deep. Like, everybody was yelling Tiger King. And I was like, yo, the ZZ Top documentary is ill. I love the ZZ Top documentary because the ZZ it. Top documentary made me realize, like, we vaguely, they were like kind of like art, weird art outlier nerds. Yes. Where they came up with the packaging thing. Like they came up with a, a vibe, which then I also didn't, I learned about that with the, with the Ramones, was they were also like that. I didn't know that too. We went to, in Berlin, I went to the Ramones Museum. I didn't know a heck of a lot about them, but knowing that they were like composed, like not composed, they were fought, used to fight and shit on stage, but the vibe was set and the costumes were set. And the I know what you're saying. I'm just they had like a perspective. Yeah, yeah. Like, they like a lot of these early punk bands and they had like an art thing going on. They yeah, had like a art. uniform and they kind of were characters yeah. and that cut through the noise of everybody else because everybody else was just trying to be cool. And then yeah. these guys, like ZZ Top, was essentially I'm to equate the two, like they they cut through because their like nerd cred allowed them to do it because they realized like hey, why don't we just trust the things that we like and what the thing that sounds right to us? And yes, it's going to lead to a 50 no's, but the one yes that comes opens a huge door because then you're the only one offering that product. You're the only one doing music that way. I, I will say about this, I, I'm, this is my theory, and you guys come from, I, the Florida in Texas are still the South. They're not really the South, but I'm gonna They're tell not you, really, they're not they're really, not really but, they South, are, yeah. but they are the South. In terms of rhythm and funk, like if you get like the drummer for the band, uh, Levon Helms, like that delay, that like it's, because it isn't, yeah. Yeah, dude. No, it he, has a little bit funkier than anybody from New York or LA. It, there's well, something Pat, down there that's a little off. Swamp <laughs> vibe. It's a it's a weirder place. But it's I guess, yeah. I actually don't know where George Clinton's from. From but all right. So he's from Detroit. Detroit he, is a funky town too. Well, that's where the funk comes from. That's is where the it comes from. Yeah. And then when you go over there too, and you really feel like even Detroit was like, man, oh man. Like I was, I went. We did a live show out there, and I was partying. Like we didn't really have time to hang out. Um, but I was like out there at night, and I was like, man, this place is. It's for real. I don't even think it's, it's not even that dangerous. It's just kind of intimidating. Like Detroit is like a place where you really need to like find your rhythm and not give a fuck. Like it is, it reminds me of coming up in New York. It's the same kind of thing where like now New York is a, a I'm, I don't mean insult, but it's a giant mall, especially it, Williamsburg. It has become a mall for Europeans in that, that <laughs> section of town. But it used to feel like, you had to be, have to keep your head on a swivel. Yeah. You got to be a warrior and to fight for what you wanted. And like Detroit seems to be like that, where you have to like go find your shit. And it, there is a ghost town. There is like an old Americana. Like when I, my mom's from Lansing, and um, like half my family's all from Michigan, so I spent there. But all, I mean, there's blocks and blocks where it's just vacant. You know, it, there is like a dead America vibe, and like 
you know, there's a, you know, it just feels like escape from New York in some of those. Like, there's so much potential. There's so much potential still though. Like I, I feel like that because my wife's grandmother lives way up north in Michigan. So we'll go in. Upper and, Peninsula? Yeah. Yeah. yeah she yeah, lives out there. It up there. It's interesting. It is Straight interesting. Up gnomes. Straight up gnomes live up there. That's uh, the Hildefirk. The Hildefirk. <laughs> Get the little hidden people. But also you can set the water on fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is very scary. That is very, very, very scary. Yeah, the, the uh, whole Flint thing. There is like there is that right wing thing that goes on up there. But it's and they're also getting hit hard by all this fucking plague business too. And it all becomes from it all comes from this bullshit. It all comes. But you know from what's blowing up out there is the cannabis industry, and I think a lot. Yeah, and that's what this. I mean, not that it's the end on. I know everybody's like, "Oh, Rob, you're being cheesy," but. I really think cannabis is a, a, a real industry that could save Detroit, could save the middle, you know, could save the South. It could, it, it, there's a, so many different avenues we could play with it. UK, I, you're not gonna get any words opposite out of me, dude. I think it's the thing that we're waiting for. I think it's the mass, I think it's a massive, it's just money sitting there. Yeah, money sitting there. It's money sitting there waiting to be taken by the stupid government so like, so they can <laughs> have it. It's like, it's there for you. I know that there's a lot of legs in there, but mostly I think it's there. People still can't get over the stigma over succeeding the war in drugs or like saying that, yes, we now admit that weed is the, is the same as booze. Yeah. If not, I mean, I think it's better because I don't ever regret my actions after a night of smoking weed. Like I don't ever like, what did I say? Because, you know, in weed, when I am feeling uncomfortable, I opt to not speak. Where with alcohol, when I feel uncomfortable, I opt to speak at, <laughs> at a higher volume. Like I go far, I go up or up and over. And those are the nights when I come in being like, what, what did I say? Oh, yeah. Last night. Like, what did I do? Like, how did, did I take the that inner Ric Flair? As soon as that <laughs> booze gets that, and I, you just start. Woo! Yeah. Just like, it's kind of cool. You can get away with it from 18 to 25. But after 36, that, I'm at 36 now. 36 is when I get things taken from me. Yeah. I mean, 36 is when I go and there are there are now corporations involved that can get in there. You know, I got a wife now that needs to like, she's kind of heavily involved in the things that come out of my mouth. You got a broke in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about, uh, what would you say? What are you? What kind of coffee are you drinking there, my man? Is that your? Mama, own I'm going to do this as a fucking supreme ass plug. All right, there's a company called Springheel Jack Coffee that sent that I. It was a. It was served as a fan of the show, and he sent me a bag of this coffee, and I fell in love with it. And now he's been sending me this shit. I swear to God, Springheel Jack Coffee is some of the best coffee that I've ever had. He sent me like a cold brew setup. So now I'm making my own cold. I'm making my own cold brew, like a true Los Angeles fucking asshole. Yeah, I am. Got the, uh, but it comes in all different, like roasts. Are you grinding your beans? You got the electric grinder. I have one of those grind coffee makers where you pour the beans in the top of it and it grinds it into the basket. Ah. It's a pain in the ass because you have to clean it. Like you have to clean it and take all the shit out of it. So that's where, but man, it makes good coffee. And yeah, I, that's where I become crack. kind of a, then I, those are the things that, and that's truly what I have become a fucking, it's not a snob. 
It's not a stop because I still drink Starbucks and I'll drink whatever the fuck's coming around. But like so coffee and weed, yeah. I have to have at a certain level now, unfortunately. No, no, you can be a snob about things. And I was thinking about that because you're not a snob, you're not a douche, but there are times where douche levels have to be inserted, you know? If I meet you out, right, and I will smoke whatever weed you give me, I would never judge whatever weed anybody gives me for free. Fucking, I love to smoke with whatever you got. I will do it, I do not care. But when it comes to me providing weed to me, I am going to make sure me is treated like a sexy lady that needs to be wooed, that my lungs need to be wooed and my lips need to be wooed by the, by the stuff. And I think it's maybe because I'm a Satanist, like a little bit of like that, like I need, I need it to be kind of grand and I need it to be nice. Like I like it top quality. Yeah. Billy Wayne Davis gets me some of the best weed I've ever had in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, he See, grows he, it, right? Is that the gig? He get it. He had a little bit that he was growing, and the only thing about growing your own weed is the only time I've had really good homegrown weed from somebody in LA. It was from a, a dude that I did not enjoy as a person. Yeah. But he had like it was like the opposite. Like he had a full like Walter White like setup inside of his home where it was an loom like it looked like a fucking, like, I don't know, how, it was scary, but he's like, you want to come see my stash? He would put on a suit and he'd walk into it. And this is just a normal ass apartment he was renting, which he should not have been doing this shit. The whole other room was like turned into a grow house with aluminum, like that weird, like insulation thing. In it. And you go in there and it's like hit the front of the suit would like sweat up because it was hot inside <laughs> of the room. Like, that's an alien technology, yeah. It was literally like Bali. Like he made it exactly like Bali in there, whatever it is to grow that weed. And then, but then he got fucked up. It was like, cause now I don't know if you suffer from the same thing I do where it's like, I don't feel like I'm chasing the dragon of a high that I miss. Yeah. Like it's not that. I don't need to be higher than I've ever needed before. I'm actually very happy with the level of stone that the weed gets me, gets me. Cause I don't need to fall apart. I don't need to always have an experience where I'm like, what if I slip between atoms? Like that kind of, those kind of thoughts. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he got me, I forgot what, what he had. It was a type of bong that I haven't seen since where he, it was, it was basically dabs. He made his own dabs, but it was an electric dab rig. Yeah. Where he had this thing, it's like, you'll see the, and it, so, I forgot the name of it, but he had this essentially like a wire. It's like a thing that he ro rolled around the rim of the thing and then it like faked it from the inside. And I got fucked up. Like <laughs> I was just like, like I was scared of my reflection in the mirror. You got to respect it. I always say the thing about cannabis that taught me is less is more. Like if you're doing it all the time, every day, like it, it, what it taught me was, and I think that's with everything, you know? It's like yes. when you eat, it's like, ugh, you don't even taste the food anymore. It's like Why does it everything has, like you gotta find that middle. My parents grew, I think I grew up with sort of a scarcity idea, right? Cause my parents yeah. used to talk about how we're gonna be in the poor house. They used to say all these kinds of things. And I think that I- Same, same. It's very intense, but I think that my, I took that, into my young adulthood, meaning like, 
I got to eat as much as I can. I got to drink as much as I can. And I got to smoke as much as I can whenever I can. And that's what I did. I don't know when it comes back around. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I need this shit now. And now that I kind of am in a better place, it's, I think that it is that idea where like, I honestly get the same amount of high and, and feel better if I just do like, cause I smoke, I smoke weed during the day sparingly. It's mostly if I'm at a high, like, like weekends, I normally will like, I wake and bake and I'll do whatever and I can hang out when I don't have responsibilities. When I, if I have a day off, I don't do anything. Right. Right. I can, I can do it, which is honestly, was very rare until this time period. Now it's like my schedule is more normal. My schedule is more Monday to Friday than it's ever been before because it's like we got to work and then, uh, you know, then there's just nothing to do on the weekends. It's not like it used to be. And you're so, a great actor and you're hilarious. And I would put you in everything, my man. Then, so I'm sure you're going out. One day. Well, I've been doing, I did a couple auditions so far, but they're just going to sit and they're all going to they're all going to be thrown out until they figure out what the hell it is that they're doing. After. You know, no one knows brother, how Hollywood's going to open it back up. My brother like works for the government. My brother's like a straight lace dude, but it consumes a lot, a lot of media. And he turned me onto this movie and you're in it and I haven't seen it, but he loves it. He thinks it's the funniest movie ever. D train. Yeah, dude, that's a good ass movie. You it's think a good it's, movie. I mean, my brother has good taste, but he's just it's a, a weird dude. He's like, nobody's seen this. This shit's funny as hell, man. You gotta watch this. Jack Black is was fucking hilarious and also one of the coolest motherfuckers on the face of the planet. What about like talk about like one of those dudes who's a movie star and like he says hello to every background actor. He does a bit with everybody. Like he's just one of those fucking killer ass dudes. And that movie was such a cause that got me the experience. There's a story that goes with that movie too, because I, um, and I'll get back to just like how I literally just go, I smoke two, two hits on a pipe. No, I go like, and then that's what I do. Um, but a D train. So I got, I booked this movie and I'm supposed to go to New Orleans and it was supposed to be shot over Mardi Gras. And I arrive in New Orleans and they say to me, Hey, listen, the funding might be falling out for this movie. This is like, I just arrived. Right. And they're like, so we don't know if we're going to be shooting. We don't know if what's going to happen. And so I was just like, so what do I do? They're like, well, you know, technically you have a hotel room paid for for the next 10 days. Um, and this is the first week in a Mardi Gras. And your hotel room, it was like one of those, it doesn't happen like this ever uh, again. Yeah. It doesn't happen like this twice in a row. So my hotel room was right on the parade line. And I was just like, so what do I do? They're like, well, we're not going to know anything until Wednesday. I arrived on a Friday. They're like, so just go do New Orleans and then we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't happy with my ex at the time and I really didn't want to go home. Like, I was like, I'm not going to fucking go home. I got all this free shit. So yeah, I just did yeah. Mardi Gras alone for five days. And I got, um, they ended up getting the funding back up. But I got like viciously, um, some form, I didn't know what was happening, right? So like, so... Five days of crazy partying. Yeah. The movie's on, right? They're like, movie's on. But just because, so Jack Black, Jack's in town. He finally got into town and he wants everybody to go out for oysters tonight. We're all going to go hang out with Jack. And I was like, and I'd already been drinking for like five fucking days, right? So I was haggard. Sweating. Yeah. The whole thing. I go into this dinner 
And as we sit and the oysters come, I feel the whole thing fucking drop, right? My whole body is fucking dropping. And it's like all the producers of the movie, and I'm a young man. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fairly green. I don't know what the hell to do. Yeah, these are bad. So I was like, like, excuse me, I had to go and fucking, I am just vomiting and blowing <laughs> up in this very nice neighborhood. Like, just fucking, I am dying. It's some kind of flu. My, I'm white, like I'm white. And I had to go back to the dinner table and I just acted like everything was cool. And I was like trying to eat oysters and shit. It's like trying to be cool because I was like, I'm meeting one of my comedy heroes. Yeah. I needed to show him I'm down. Even that I'm not an asshole. Yeah. And, whew, and I just like, and then finally they're like, we're all going to get fucked up. You guys want to go? And I was like, you know what? It's probably good if I should take a nap. I should really think about my part. Like I was starting trying to act all serious like an actor. And then I just sat and just shivered alone in a hotel room for two days as whatever that shit is worked its way out of my system. Yeah. You got a hold of something funky. Yeah. It was bad. And then, but you made the film and you made the shoot and that was like, you know, one of your, yeah, that was a major role in a major film. That was great. That was and great. you worked with Martin Scorsese though before that. You worked in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. I did a lot of stuff where people were slumming. You know what I mean? I did a movie with, I did a fucking movie that it, this, the whole movie was, it was called God's Behaving Badly. And the movie had Sharon Stone, who I got to make out with, um, Felicia Rashad, John Turturro, um, Edie Falco, uh, Christopher Walken, um, Oliver Platt. It was this, this insane cast. And it was so bad. (laughs) <laughs> that it was thrown out and it won't be ever be seen by the yeah. light of day. I, so I've been there for a lot of times that celebrities were embarrassed. Scorsese was like, that was just like a moment in the sun that just doesn't happen again. That's just one of those where like, oh, I didn't understand what I was into until afterwards. And then I was like, oh shit, now it's over. Yeah, uh, art's like that. And that's what I'm trying to like, you know, I've been meditating and, you know, and uh eating edibles and all that, but, uh, yeah, dude, I get to my year. I actually started off this whole year about this idea of like seeking knowledge. Cause I'm very deep into the Dune series right now. I've been reading a lot. I've been reading that. See, I've been fucking locked into Dune. I'm finally on book six. I'm almost done with it. But the fourth book, God Emperor of Dune is all about like, it's hard to describe. I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but basically the main character, main character of book three turns into an, an immortal worm lord. <laughs> and what this guy does, what he talks about all the time is about seeking knowledge and about how like, he, the one term that I love is a, a knowledge exists um, of the uncertainty. Knowledge is the uncertainty of existing on the blade of a knife, which is like this idea constantly of challenging yourself and opening yourself to new shocking information, new things that can hopefully change your purview. So this year was supposed to be about me expanding my consciousness. That's what I wanted to do. Right, right. And but what this opportunity, this is the one thing I would call this the the, the plague of vague opportunity is that it does give us an, give us the time forcibly to look inwards and like what can be in that will satisfy what going out normally used to satisfy. I used to the noise and the fun of being outside of my home, but technically it's a distraction and why do we need it? Yeah, 100%, it's 100% a distraction. You know why we need it? It's because it's fun. It's fun. The interior, the interior searching is actually very difficult. It makes you upset. 
sometimes. Yes. It's hard. It's hard. But the less you think about it, and the same thing with art, like you can have everything lined up and tune it just right and have the thing and you just crush it. Crush it. Crush it. You just don't know. The only thing you know is to put it out. Like you didn't know last podcast on the left was going to make you, you know. It was the opposite. I was told by every person in my world, in the world, by my agent, my ex-agent told me how we'd never make money. Even my manager took him years to get him to listen to the podcast. He had no fucking clue. He was just like, whatever. And then it wasn't until our Patreon numbers started climbing that like my manager showed me like, so tell me about this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, as he and I was just like, bro, we've been doing this for seven years. I've been telling you that it's like, you know, like, because we now I just started it. a Patreon, so <laughs> we gotta we gotta get people on there. But I don't want to be cheesy about plugging. But you're a hundred percent right. Like, you, you know, didn't see this coming. Patreon is way more normal now than it used to be. In the beginning, even I felt like it felt like we're begging for money. It felt like a thing. But you're like, now it's so normal. Now, what's weird is that because there's a vacuum of responsibility at the top of this country, the, we are, everybody has now got a real responsibility kind of like fetish, like people really want to, so, but, they, but it, what, it, what it works is for artists is that I think people realize you gotta pay for your art and you gotta, you gotta help these people. We're not just jesters for free. If you meet me in a coffee shop, yes, I'll be a jester for free. You don't have to buy me a cup of coffee for me to joke because unfortunately I can't not yeah. I seek to joke at whatever human I see in the street. So that's just going to happen at you no matter what. But it, I think people realize like how they, they kind of, if you want good art, you have to be you, the way you help us is by tossing us a couple of dollars yeah, so that I, we can continue to do this without worrying about if I'm going to eat. But we can do it for, I mean, these power centrals like Brooklyn, I do still love work living here. Cause I like to walk. That's why oh, I, yeah. I don't, I don't own a car. That's what keeps me young is that I'm all oh, buddy. Moving. That is, I miss that about New York so much because it's so hard to walk here. Yeah, so LA is. LA because yeah. I miss it. I truly do miss it. And especially now in all of this fucking garbage, right? So all of LA is like, the one thing in general is that LA apartments are nicer on the whole than New York apartments, right? So it's a little bit more livable inside of an LA apartment because there's a little bit more room. Where like New York apartments are like, get out of here. <laughs> go be in New York you know what I mean like why are you home get the fuck out home? of here <laughs> and so we but now I'm like the parks are too full because everybody's in their parks everybody's just like doing group workouts and I was like guys first of all I'm not sweating into a mask I'm not doing it I'm not gonna I'm not it's crazy Yeah. so I'm literally walking like next to the highway just <laughs> wherever there's no people but yeah. they, you know like just like I'm fucking Michael Landon <laughs> like just wandering the, the wandering the byways of America. Wonder, and I was like, it's mostly just because I'm like, I'll do yoga because I've found a lot. I found yoga this year. Yeah, Article. yoga's great. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. That uh, I saw Wild Country though too. Did you see that one? Wild yeah. Country is good too. We, and David Koresh, like you guys go into all this dark material, but. Uh, oh yeah, dude. But you know, I, I take a lot from Colts. My, my thing, and I've been talking about facetiously on last podcast, but I don't really consider that facetiously, honestly, is L. Ron Hubbard was like, right. In many ways, he figured out how to really flip that into a business and his, and L. Ron Hubbard actually of all of them had the purest intent, which was just to make money. It's weird how that is pure where like David Koresh just wanted to like, I'm watching the new Waco series on Netflix 
And they totally just like gloss over just being like, you cast, like, I think there's a disconnect where you look at that series and you're like, you cast a 30 year old woman to play a 15 year old girl in that movie. So in the movie, in the show, you're like, oh, you know, that's his child bride, but she's got full breasts and the body of a 30 year old woman. You know what I mean? She's got a 30 year old woman's body, right? But it's like, if you really look at his child brides in, in reality, being like, they were little girls and they look like little girls and it's a difference like 11 and 12 13 yeah i did some reading on it because i didn't want to watch it because i was like i don't want to celebrate this dude i like how you guys break down and kind of call all these guys losers and nerds but, but i watched the hardcore stuff so i had material for the show and i uh, you know i give them a little bit of i know that they're trying to make a show so yeah. in my mind like you just have to watch it and know like this is not a documentary this is their fictionalized version of this story because they can't, if they want viewers, they can't have Taylor Kitsch with the little girl going like, like they just can't. No. That's not gonna bring, it's not gonna bring the right people and you gotta cultivate your audience. Where, and I don't know if Taylor Kitsch, I mean, unless he was just like, well, I would make them for real, you know? Like if he was like that, that'd be also, that would be bad. You know what I mean? Cause think about it, if they made it real, real, people couldn't handle it. People be really, really upset. So you kind of have to sex it up a bit so that you watch it. Yeah, the thing about cults I'm trying to get my head around and it's good uh, is uh, I just been reading, not reading, I just like, I'm trying to let go and not judge and not, not like the thing about cults is like once you give somebody so much power, it takes, the more power you give somebody, the less you have. Well, it just but, shows there are people, there are stripes of human, there's stripes of humanity that, have get to a point where they feel helpless yeah. right they and they think and, and these are marks for people that like to collect somebody a cult leader is not a cult leader without a cult yeah you can walk around thinking that you're great knowing that gaia told you that you you are going to open up the seven seals right like you can live in that knowledge but if you don't have a group of people doing it, it's like there's a tree fall in the forest if no one's there to hear it. Yeah, yeah. you need somebody to be like, yeah, you, you. Yeah, nobody, you need people. So yeah. they gravitates towards people and can see it. They have that, like that's kind of the sociopath kind of trait they have is that they can see Terminator style, the weakness in certain people and they go for it. And there are people that have hit the wall in this country, right? This is a capitalist country. It requires you to, you gotta be, unfortunately, a sociopathic grinder to make it sometimes. Like sometimes you have to be, you have to have upward eyeballs, you have to have a lot of energy and you need to believe in yourself and it takes a lot of getting kicked in the nuts over and over and over again. And then sometimes you still just fail. You still just fucking bottom out, right? Because we don't believe in helping anybody here because we, it's, a, it's a country that it, we see where that brought us, right? Now that we're all home in our failed government in a, a plague that could have been easily handled and now we're all stuck home. Um, and, he's tank and he tanked the economy. He tanked his own fucking capitalist economy by doing this, by, by his fuck up. His, his lack of experience got us to this point and now he's destroying the economy. The thing that he didn't, you know, I'm just, I'm on a tangent now. I know, it's all ego, man. It's, it's, it's it, all ego. It's all ego and if we, no, that is why we're all here. see it. It's weird. That, I can see, I can see the reasoning 
because yeah. he's so transparent that all of the reasoning is there. So you could see the reasoning why, because he realizes when he, but now the, the depression that he didn't, he was trying to avoid is not going to happen. So, and it's going to be on the next president, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but the, he, so people, there are striving people that are real, that are just lost in that sea and lost in that grind and don't have the energy to do it. So they're like, yes, please take me, take me and provide for me. Make, you know, like here, you're the leader, you're in charge. Love, yeah. I love, I love that you're in charge because then you can tell me what to do so that I can have something to do with my life. But then it's not until at some point that you wake up and realize that what the agency that you've given over. And then the reason why people stay in cults and a lot of times is because if you have to then admit, like, especially if you've been in a cult for years, like decades, what do you do when you've like, you know, like the end of we were your whole just, personality, it's your whole thing. It's like, you uh, gave up so much heaven's yeah. gate, right? We were talking about heaven's gate. Heaven's gate was a livable cult with some dope shoes. They go, love those, love those <laughs> Nike things. Honestly, they are very cool. And you can't, now like $500 a pair. Yeah. But I, uh, you go, that cult for like 20 years was like, were they weird? Yeah. The yeah. ugly haircuts? Yeah. They're super skinny, eating a lot of beans, you know, all kinds of shit. Sure. But things kind of chill, you know? He was rolling it. But then the moment comes and Marshall Applewhite is like, actually, you know, I've been saying we don't have to commit suicide. We actually do. Yeah, it's the only way to get to the next level. We actually have to do it. You've been in this thing for 25 years. And then you're like, no, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, who, who am I? Who am I now? Like, I might as well, because if you commit suicide, if I have to leave this, what, where will I be? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's programming a lot of it with meditation and mantras. Like, I think it's a lot of the subconscious and trying to, and then you've been, your subconscious has been, you know, controlled. You've been, and, you've been and saying also sometimes, this over and over again. It's hard to break through. Cult leaders are not altogether always incorrect. It is because they tap into stuff like Scientology exercises and certain exercises like Heaven's Gate. We talked about the same thing. There's some very interesting mindfulness exercises staying in the place like there are things well, i think do. it's a community you know what was cool was the woodstock documentary in the hog farm do you know about wavy gravy no. and those guys yeah i mean that was like that hippie ideal non-cultish but kind of free love Give up hierarchy, up right? dirt poor type of shit you know yes living but, up humble. but the thing was is that those old cults those old groups used to kind of live on a kind of a we're all in the same plane yeah. right the whole point was to eliminate the hierarchies and live free where these cult leaders are kind of doing it a Stalin-esque style of like, you'll all live under a perfect society under me where you're all under one layer and there's only one above layer. There's just me. But then the problem is it consolidates all the power up to the top. And then once that guy decides he's fucking your wife because he had a dream that God decided it. And then it's like, do I leave the cult or is he going to kill me if I leave the cult? And if she I try to leave. big old bitties, yeah. Big old, full of milk. Yeah, full of milk. They're going to be full of milk. She's going to be so full of pregnant child. Yeah, yeah. So easily. And she's just like, old Tawny, 17 years old, waiting wow. to be inseminated. No, like, that's my wife, though. That's my wife. Like, God has told me this. God has told me this. <laughs> but I need to put them, I need to squeeze them together. I have to do it. I have to. Got to put them together. Got to put them between this. Uh, I have to, I have to sandwich my dick with it. And that is what Jehovah told me. And you know that Jehovah speaks only to me, Greg. 
They're actually your testosterone trying to get out, and we're sad yeah. animals. Uh, but in terms of bands, what about you? Like, did you ever just to maybe end this on a, a on a high note and a funky note? What was your band like? Is I'm guessing like, were you ever into jam bands? Did you ever go jam? You know, there's a cultish thing going there. I flirted with the jam band world, especially in college. Yeah, um, be honest. You're old. My shit always was funk. It was funk always. and metal. Funk and metal were all my, my two favorites. Metal, actually, I actually acquired more as I got older. Because was high school, cool? yeah, like I like more and more metal as I've gotten older. And I think it, because of just something else, there's something that I needed from it. But yeah. soul and funk were my favorite genres of music for forever. There was an, a series called Eccentric Soul that okay. had like 10 CDs that was this beautiful introduction to like everything outside of just the, the main like Atlantic record scene. Like there were stacks, right? All these other groups, but soul was highly regional back yeah. in the early days. So you'd go and you'd see like the Arizona scene. There was like one CD of eccentric soul that was like the fucking uh, like Chicago scene. And then they had one that was like the deep South scene. And then they had like a California scene and all this, which was highly interesting and just gets into your soul. But Parliament Funkadelic is still my favorite band of all time. That's awesome. Because uh, I've seen them. I've seen Funkadelic, them yeah. And it makes and, no sense, but it makes every sense. Like I really think the best art isn't the dressed up, like, like the more I get down to it is like, the most prolific stuff is the most simplest shit. And I want you to make me feel good. Yeah. I want you to make me feel good. I like, you could even say that, you know, I've learned things from the lyrics of Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, fucking the maggot brain, I've had some of my most profound moments in my life to that album. Like, and it all involved a lot of drugs. Album. Maggot brain is one of the most, it's, uh, it's better than Pink Floyd. It's, uh, I don't know, that's my thing. It's like, it, it'll definitely take you there. It's a deep feel it. album. It's a, deep, it's a very deep album. Yes. And I think that what people then say about funk quite a bit, I think that they get, I think that it gets derided a lot as a simple dance music. Yeah. And it's like, for me, funk is deep. It's deep. It's soulful. It is. That's what I find interesting that you just said that you like metal, and, but you were into soul. Whereas metal, I grew up with metal, like, I grew up in, in D.C., it was all funk, go-go, Chuck Brown. Yeah. So I got that. So I learned that. And then I went deep Southern Virginia. I was in a town of Appalachian Mountains of 5,000. I grew up with hardcore metalhead rednecks. Like the dude across the street, Jeff Sherlock, played in this band called Nosferatu. And they opened up for Metallica. They were the speed metal. He was my dude. Like, he would just be in the front yard doing nunchucks and still play speed metal. <laughs> And he had Ninja Stars, Soldier Fortune Magazine, had the cutoff camos. He oh, yeah, dog. Rednecks. He was like a me. He was like the dude in Beavis and Butthead that was like the cool guy. Like they all worshipped. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. But I went and no, saw oh, those yeah. shows. I know he liked me. I was friends with him. I was friends with his little brother. So I was introduced to metal really early. Like I saw some real, I saw like early speed metal Metallica tapes. But the thing about metal, it, there's not, not much soul in metal. No, well, so metal came for me, metal hooked into something else into my mind that was more of a warrior mentality. 
Like it was way more of a like, and it's, it kind of like equalized me at times of high anxiety, very intense metal. And where it really came out of is that we did an episode on the Norwegian black metal scene and yeah. the murders that happened into it. And I kind of fell in love with black metal doing it because it's the punk rock of European metal. It's like highly emotional, fucking with the rules, all different styles, like kind of seeing what works, highly experimental and strange. And like, that's what I like. It's the kind of unexpected, like, oh, there's actually a beautiful melody in here. There's like a thing in here that's actually like, there's stuff in here inside of the, like, there's something like funk. It's the same thing on the exterior. It's just noise and insanity. And then you look past and you're like, there's actually something deeply empowering inside of this that is like calling to me. Well, it's technique. Like uh, as, as goon meathead as it is, it's highly technical music. It's like yes. high end. It's not like strumming three chords. You're riding the lightning. Like yeah, these, are better. <laughs> these are very hard songs and guitar hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fret work. No, it's there, you know, that's, but that's the close I get, but I am not as my, my problem recently, honestly, is I've become very, very stodgy with my music. I've been, I've been, I listen to the same shit over and over and over again. And I don't know why. I got to break out. I have like, I had Marcus. Did you listen to anything? No, I, I listen to this. I'm, I'm in a loop of Tom Petty and Grateful Dead and then a lot of funk. Spotify does help me. It like, does because it breaks. It's weird how it does break you out. It like, does break you out. I have to say, as people who say, you know, corporate whatever or a- algorithms are evil, it's like it does. The app works. Yeah. And what does it do that's, but for me, I feel like, yes, we need to start looking at data differently. I think yeah. people are very concerned about like people saying, oh, they, they know my preferences, they're stealing my data. Data is natural radiation from our actions on the internet and in life, right? That we need to start understanding that data is, there's nothing you can do. You create data with every single thing that you do. And it's about how, yes, are they gonna harness it in ways both good and bad? Yes. You telling me a music that you think I'd like for my behavior and you being shockingly accurate to me is technology working. I was being like, thank you. You opened my thank you for showing me something. Do I, I don't need it to be like, we think your wife is weak and she needs to go. Like if it becomes like that level, then you're like, this is, that's bad. Because yeah, I that's bad. But it is just the facts. And that's the thing about computers. It's not, yeah, it's just, it's just the facts. The same thing with COVID, like this whole COVID-19, like, dude, you can say right or wrong or Democrat, Republican. We just it's out need there, the dude. data. We need the data. And we then need the data. We need data so we can figure out our next move because nobody has been here before. <laughs> and nobody is making the right move. No one's, because, because again, there's a little vacuum of leadership. We got nobody who's really telling us what to do. Everybody's saying different shit. So we're all just like, blah, blah, blah. I have reached total exhaustion with even reading information about it. I'm like, I wear the mask, I wash my hands. I'm just going to fucking deal this until this fucking over. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, Henry, thank you so much for being on the Cannabis Coffee Hour. Yeah. Uh, is there anything Pleasure else to you, you want to tell the, tell the good people out there? Like, I, I, got, I got so much out of you, and I don't want to keep you all day, because I know you're no. busy. And you guys no, are- dude, it's so much fun, man. I love talking with you, buddy. I miss you, man. Um, you no, last book on the left. Check out our new book. 
yeah, your, your book is just killing it. You guys are touring and I love it. And I've been listening to the episodes. Are you going to do a day? Have you done a Koresh one? You guys, have, have you done a Koresh? We did Waco. Yes, we've done Waco. We did it. We did it twice, actually. We did it once and then we redid it. Yeah, they're co um, coming back out. And I'm like, let's not celebrate this dude too much. I think we should you know, celebrate you guys for bringing out the data. Like, literally, you guys bring out you know, the and data. Also, People are just fascinated. People are yeah. fascinated with cults, which I get because they are highly, highly fascinating. I honestly don't think that Waco really does much to sell. It doesn't celebrate it. It just, it just doesn't fully like, you, you like David Koresh a little bit too much in this show. Like you want, they, they want to like him of. a little bit too much. And you're just like, you know, I just, but I know the truth. So I am not, like affected by it but hopefully more people it, hopefully it leads more people to doing independent research uh just a quick shout out i'm drinking coffee because it's the caters i'm drinking brooklyn roasting company did you ever i remember fucking yeah absolutely yeah this is the only can i went to the bodega but they had 3d and it's deep and dark and pops is it out, good pulls you in yeah this is this is for you it's good. oh this is good beans i would say Stumptown. i'm i'm a i, I love really i'm a douche when it comes to coffee in some senses like it's hard to beat Stumptown. I like Intelligentsia. I like that. Yes. It's good in life. It's deep, but it's good. It's good, you know? I am, I just, you know, and but that's what's weird is that I've got like, it's, it's, I have a very lucky scenario where like, my boy, my Springle Jack coffee man is fucking sending me premium ass beans, man. I'm getting fresh Yeah, where's he from? Where's he? Roasting? He's up in Ohio. In Ohio? Yeah, man, he's great. He's fucking local business. Just want, like him and his wife running shit they you know he comes from a long line of bean guys bean roasters you know where he gets his beans from i forget i know that i want to it's, it's somewhere it's like right next to blood diamonds yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah you can get it I, just because of this podcast i've been getting deep but you know what's fascinating just to get the word out and that i find fascinating because coffee is the same as like it's it's a little bit more difficult than to grow cannabis like you need elevation but then you also need heat so you need mountainy? Yeah, no, it's very specific. But do you know the two places in America you can grow coffee? Where? Hawaii and Puerto Rico. I would fucking love some Hawaiian coffee. Yeah, Hawaiian coffee's bomb. And I've never had that bomb too. What did you where do you get Hawaiian coffee? Uh they have it. You gotta look around. Uh it's a little bit more expensive. It's called I try. but it, it, it is no go out and get yourself some Hawaiian. But I like some raise. I, I think we should support small business. I think small business is what the lifeblood of this country. I think my middle class is the lifeblood of this country. I think small business all day. But my only thing was like we're getting these beans from all these different countries. Puerto Rico needs money. Let's make Starbucks buy from Puerto Rico, you know? That's a great know. idea. That's a I'm fucking great like, idea. Yeah, or Hawaii, let's get that money rolling in instead of Ooh, like going to let me think. Money. Let me look this up. I mean, I could, I'll get myself some Puerto Rican coffee or some Hawaiian coffee. I would absolutely love that. And uh, same thing with that sun-grown weed too, man. The outdoor weed is just so much better than weed. So much better than it being like inside and in a basement. It comes from the particles of the sun. The sun like gets uh, into it. Yes. Oh, natural. Yeah, that's my best is just a big old split. Like I've been to Jamaica a few times and that's what mm. I like. I don't need it super powerful. I just no, need- No, I like a nice, I like a nice, solid, friendly buzz. Yeah, friendly buzz. Yeah, to get through the day, look at a flower, check it out. <laughs> a little smile, so you can smile. Yeah.
All right, Henry. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate Hell yeah, it. buddy. Hell yeah. I love oh, you. Next time I, I can't wait to see you, man. Hi. Yeah.